This morning, we're going to be looking to the calling of God's people. What is the church of Jesus Christ called to as his people that have been set apart? We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 20, looking particularly at verses 17 through 27. We continue to see in the book of Acts the unfolding promise of the kingdom of God expanding expanding from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the earth. We see it expanding through the mission of the church, through God's people. Here in Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul calls for the elders of the Ephesian church. The word elder in the Greek is presbyter, where we get the word Presbyterian. See, Presbyterian is simply a church that is governed or ruled by elders. And so Paul calls the presbyters, the elders of the church of Ephesus to come and to sit, to hear the calling of the church, for him to remind them of the ministry that he has modeled for them as he departs from them. So let's hear what God has to say through the Apostle Paul as it's recorded in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 27. This is the calling of a gospel-centered church. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God And of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city. That imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value. Nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course. And the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And on this Lord's day, may we not shrink back from declaring and proclaiming the whole counsel of God, the very gospel of grace, Because the grass withers and the flower surely fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Typically, when a person is dying, what comes out of their mouth is not trivial. Typically, when a person is getting ready to take their final breath or they know their days are numbered, there is a sense of urgency when they're speaking There's a sense of urgency from the one who is receiving the word. 
And that's precisely what's happening here in Acts chapter 20. More than one time, Paul is telling the church leaders in Ephesus that you will not see me again. Many people, commentators say that this is the last will and testament of the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And he's reminding them that he's going to Jerusalem and more than likely we will not see each other face to face. And so there is a sense of urgency on the part of Paul to relay to the church in Ephesus, to the elders in Ephesus, that this is how you are to live. This is how you are to operate the church. There's a sense of drawing near to Paul, holding on to every word as he relays to them that I have modeled for you the example of what it means to live as a church that has been shaped and grounded and gripped by the gospel and it would serve us well 2,000 years later if we would get to the edge of our seat and listen to these words as we are called to live out the calling as the people of God in the 21st century, how would these words, just as they were relevant and resonated with the church in the first century, what might the words of Paul, how might it serve us this morning in understanding our calling as the people of God, as a church centered on the gospel? The first thing that Paul reminds the church of concerning their calling is the calling to proclaim the truth on more than one occasion particularly in verses 20 and 27 he reminds them that I did not shrink back from proclaiming the word of God proclaiming the truth verse 20 how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching in public and from house to house and then in verse 27 I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God Paul wants to remind the church of the primacy of preaching and teaching the truth not preaching what we want to hear, not preaching what we think we need, but preaching the whole counsel of God unfiltered. This is the calling of the truth. And Paul wants to remind the church, this is our calling to not shrink back, to not hesitate, to boldly proclaim the whole counsel of God, not a truncated version of the gospel, not the parts of the scriptures we think we want to hear, but exactly what we need to hear. Because we live in a world, we live in a culture today that says you can believe whatever you want to believe concerning God. We live in a cultural moment where we are told that you can believe whatever you want to believe concerning yourself. And the Apostle Paul says, not so fast. We believe what we believe concerning God according to the whole counsel of truth. We believe who we are and that concerning the brokenness and the problems of this world, not by whatever we want to believe, but by what the Word of God tells us. And we do it without hesitation. And that means if there is only one truth concerning God, if there is only one truth concerning who we are, if there's only one truth concerning our world and where we came from and where we're going and the problems and the brokenness of this world, it means that you will inevitably offend someone. 
And if we live our lives attempting to never offend, attempting to soft pedal, attempting to water down the message, we will never be faithful as Paul was faithful to proclaim the whole counsel of God without hesitation, without shrinking back. That is why here at Coral Ridge, we do not take ourselves seriously, but we take God and his word very seriously. It's why we open up the word of God every Sunday and we challenge our members from the moment they are born to the moment they go to heaven, why they need to be immersed every day with the word of God, operating with a biblical worldview, that the authority of God is their only rule of faith and practice. That is the calling of the people of God. It was 2,000 years ago, and it continues to be our calling today. That's why as a church we do not shrink back, but proclaim the word of God and the truth of his word without hesitation. The second calling of the people of God that Paul wants to remind the church of is secondly, we minister with humility and tears. How many times do you hear tears and weeping in this passage? There's crying all over the place to the point where you want to grab Paul and say, get a grip, man. He says, I cried over you. I weeped with you. I came to you in tears. So Paul, you're a grown man. Get a hold of yourself. But Paul says precisely in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, he says, yes, I came boldly proclaiming the truth. I did not shrink back from proclaiming the whole counsel of God, but don't miss this. But I came with a ministry of humility and tears. I came to you weeping. You see, when the gospel takes root in your life and you are transformed by the inside out, it not only gives you the confidence to boldly proclaim the truth of God's word, but to do it with all humility. Paul says, I came to you and to the Corinthian church in weakness so that you wouldn't look to me and give me glory, but you would recognize the power that was work within me. That is Jesus Christ. This is a phenomenal concept, particularly if you understand the cultural context. You see, when Paul speaking to a a church immersed in the Greco-Roman culture, and he tells them that I had a ministry among you with humility and tears, they could not comprehend this. Because to the Greco-Roman world, humility, weakness, and tears was a curse. You only talked about weakness and humility if you believed you were cursed from the gods. This was not considered a virtue but instead considered a curse. But you see, the gospel comes into the world through the preaching of Jesus Christ and through the preaching of the early church, and it brings a whole new ethic. It brings a whole new paradigm. And instead of humility being a curse, it is now for the first time seen as a weakness or as a virtue because we are able to boldly declare that it is not our power and our strength, but it is the power of the gospel at work in weak people like you and me. And it turned this world upside down. It was the first time they saw grown men and women boast of their weakness, but boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. 
It was the first time that they were able to take off the mask and in weakness and in tears admit their utter humility and dependence upon Christ. That Christ is the, is, is the only one that truly is the one that is to be praised and glorified. That the first will be last and the last will be first. And those that are exalted on this earth will eventually be humbled. And those that are humbled on this earth will eventually be exalted. The known world had never heard of such a thing. But Paul said this is the brilliance of our ministry. That we are able to come with truth. But in tears. Listen to me. The world is desperate for this type of ministry. Our world is hungry for men and women to stand by what they believe without hesitation and to not shrink back. The world is desperate for a church like Coral Ridge that says they, they stand by with all conviction according to the word of truth. They actually stand for something in a world that stands for nothing. But the world is also desperate to see our tears, and to see it done with the spirit of humility. It took the world by storm 2,000 years ago, and it will take the world by storm today to see men and women, boys and girls, standing for the truth, but weeping for the brokenness of our world and of our culture, to be ministers of the gospel, citizens of the kingdom of God, boldly proclaiming the truth, but doing it with tears. This is the calling of the people of God to proclaim the truth, to minister with humility and tears. And third and lastly, we are called to be a church that seeks Christ as our supreme treasure. Look at verse 22. Paul says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. Going to Jerusalem only meant one thing. You didn't go to Jerusalem to retire. You didn't go to Jerusalem for a life of ease and comfort. You went to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And Paul is declaring that just as my Lord and Savior went to Jerusalem to suffer and die, now I must go. But Paul says, I not only go, but I go in verse 22 to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. That word constrained means to be bound. The word constrained means I am compelled that whether I like it or not, whether I want to or not, I am compelled and constrained to go to Jerusalem. Why? Verse 24 Because I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that I have come to the place in my life where I have forsaken all worldly pleasures and treasures, and I seek as one single aim in my life to see Christ as the only treasure even if it means suffering and dying, I must go to Jerusalem. I want to ask you this morning, is the Holy Spirit constraining you 
and compelling you to go to Jerusalem no matter what. To see Christ as the primary, supreme treasure of your life that you are able to declare with boldness and confidence and humility that I am willing to forsake all worldly treasures and that Jesus and Him alone is the only treasure that I will seek no matter what. This is your calling. This was the calling of the church 2,000 years ago and remains our calling today to not buy the lies of this world that offer you treasures that will crumble and break and wither away, that promises you treasure that will not last and that are fleeting. And it is in the offer of the gospel that we are to see Christ as our only treasure. Now you can imagine there might have been men and women that would have pulled Paul aside and said, stop while you're ahead. Retire. Go make tents. Sail the world. But Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul had to block out all that noise and all the temptations and say, my life counts for nothing. My life has no value except for fulfilling this calling that God has placed on my life, that Jesus and he alone will be my supreme treasure no matter what. Is that the calling of your life? Is that the singular focus of your life? Is that the one aim of your life that if we, the world, was to look at your life, it would be able to, with an exclamation point, be able to say, yes, there is no greater treasure than the treasure of Christ. He working in my life as my supreme treasure. Now you might ask yourself, how does that happen? What actually gives us the power and the fuel and the strength to be able to renounce all worldly treasure and aim as Christ, as my only treasure in life? Well, the same Paul gives us an answer in Ephesians 1. Because it's in Ephesians 1 verse 18 that Paul does not say that Christ is our treasure, although he says that elsewhere. But in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul tells us that we are Christ's treasure. He says we are Christ's inheritance, that we are Christ's supreme possession. That is the message of the gospel and the good news for you and me this morning to understand and recognize that the only way that we can see Christ as our supreme treasure is when we realize that Christ first sought us as his treasure, as his possession. That before we loved Christ, Christ loved us. Before we sought God, he far sought broken, weary sinners like you and me. What a glorious message. The world declares that you need to clean yourself up. That you need to, by your own power and strength and righteousness, that you need to somehow become the treasure of someone to be someone's possession, to be someone's treasure. 
But the message of the gospel says that you first became Christ's treasure and that not by the power in you, but by the power of the cross, you were made clean, that the righteousness of Christ at work in your life makes you beautiful in the sight of God. The power of the cross announcing to broken sinners like us that we can be made new, that we can be the very treasured of a glorious God. This is the glorious message that we are called to declare to a broken and hurting world. And it's in light of this glorious message that we receive this glorious calling And it is the only explanation for why this world was turned upside down 2,000 years ago. A message and a mission and a calling of boldly proclaiming the truth with a ministry of humility and tears, seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. It's the only thing that turned this world upside down 2,000 years ago and it's the only thing that will turn our world upside down today. What a glorious message. What a glorious calling Jesus has given us to fulfill it on earth as it is in heaven. Newlyweds were on their way to a hotel for their honeymoon. They were leaving the reception and it was a foggy night. And out of the blue, they see a semi-tractor trailer coming the other direction and there's a head-on collision The newlyweds in their car go over into a ditch and they're both knocked unconscious. The husband wakes up first and he looks over to his new bride who is bleeding and unconscious and in in a panic rushes out of the car to, to find help. Providentially, he looks on top of the hill and he sees a, a sign that says the, the offices of Dr. Bob Jones. And he climbs up the hill with his wife and he knocks on the door. And the the door opens and he says, Doctor, can you help me? My wife is dying. And the doctor says, Sir, I'm sorry, I stopped practicing years ago. He, He said, Doctor, rescue my wife. Save my wife from dying. And he said, Sorry, I stopped practicing. I no longer operate as a doctor. And with that, the husband looked at the doctor and he said, Sir, you have two choices and two choices only. You either save and rescue and deliver my wife or take down your sign. But don't lead me to believe that you are someone who can rescue Don't lead me to believe that you are someone who can save. Don't lead me to believe that you are someone who has the answer only to find out that you're nothing more than a sign. Sir, save my wife or take down your sign. I am afraid that today there are a lot of people that are Christian by name only. But this is our calling to fulfill our calling in our day, to declare to a lost and broken and dying world the hope of the gospel with boldness, with humility and tears, seeking Christ as our supreme treasure. And you today have two choices and two choices only. Either fulfill your calling or take down your sign.